Let's stand together today and let's open our Bibles to John chapter 10. And as we begin to look towards Easter, we're going to talk over these next several weeks about the road to Jerusalem. What happened in the last days of Jesus' life and the great messages that are in there for us as Jesus marched towards Jerusalem. John chapter 10, verse 39. It says, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been, baptized, been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you would just touch us today. Father, if there's something lacking in our life, if there's some place where we're holding back and something else sits on the throne of our heart besides you, don't let us leave this place without your Spirit speaking it to us. Without excuse, Father, let us hear and let us walk in the fullness of your plan for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus would have three years of ministry on this earth. He'd, he'd been on the earth in the form of a man for over 30 years, right at 30 years, when his real work on this earth begins. But the last, the last year of Jesus' life, he was a very divisive figure. A very divisive figure, especially in Jerusalem. Now, of course, we can't compare these two characters in their, uh, in their character. But if you want to get a kind of a picture, think about America today. Think about how divisive things are in America with President Trump and the people who are against him. For extremely different reasons, of course, the same kind of atmosphere was taking place in Jerusalem as we see taking place in the world today. Uh, while President Trump is no Jesus, I want you to relate to the public atmosphere of people who absolutely despised Jesus, people who absolutely wanted to be rid of Jesus, and people who thought he might be the great Messiah. That's the atmosphere that is taking place in the last days, in the last year of Jesus' life. At the Passover of his second year, Jesus chooses to stay away from Jerusalem because things are so divisive. For fear of what may happen there. This would have been in April on our calendar of the second year of his ministry. And because of this great threat, he just stays away. Several months go by, and the Feast of the Tabernacles is going to take place. And, and uh, this would have been in September and October. And in this time, the controversy is still alive. 
Some have seen the miracles and are convinced that he's the Messiah, but others still want to have him arrested, and there are plots against him. His own brothers come to him at that point in time and in a very taunting kind of way say, if you're really something, then go show yourself at the feast. These brothers who will someday become his followers. Jesus chooses not to make a great public entrance into Jerusalem at that time, but later as the feast continues, he quietly goes into Jerusalem but he doesn't stay quiet for long. What starts with his quiet attendance soon escalates as Jesus begins to teach publicly during the feast. And he begins to confront the Jewish leaders who are opposed to him with their hypocrisy and with their lies. It's interesting to note that Jesus' goal was not popularity. Jesus' goal was the truth. Uh, By the time the feast ends for the next several months, he returns to Galilee, but there's continuing pressure. Some continue to doubt him, and others want to make him the political leader. But Jesus returns to Jerusalem in December for the Feast of Dedication that we know today as, as Hanukkah. He is confronted by his enemies and asked if he is the Christ. And when he tells them that he and the Father are one, they are infuriated. This is blasphemy. They take up rocks to stone him, but it's not his time. And he escapes through the crowd. At that point in time, Jesus will head away from Jerusalem and stay away from Jerusalem from December until April and the next Passover feast. The stage is being set for the epic work of Jesus, his death uh, for our sins and his resurrection that gives us hope. In these months between December and April, many dramatic events take place. Miracles take place. The Bible tells us many begin to believe in him. His teaching is both amazing, challenging, culture-altering, and controversial. He only ventures close to Jerusalem one more time, and he comes back just close enough to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, which has a strange effect on the religious leaders. I mean, who has ever done anything like this before? But instead of opening their eyes to who Jesus is, it makes them even more determined to kill him. So after raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus stays near Ephraim. In these next few months, Zacchaeus will find salvation. In these next few months, Bartimaeus' eyes will be opened and he will see. In these next few months, James and John Two of his closest followers will vie for position in the kingdom and cause division even among the disciples. In these next few months, Mary will come and anoint his feet, wipe his feet with her hair. 
And these next few months, a rich young ruler will come to Jesus with a question. The story of this rich young man is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This guy comes very publicly during the day, very openly to Jesus. He was a young guy, a successful guy. He was a guy with position in the community. He would be a guy that any church would be proud to have as a member. Everything about him shouts with success. And he comes with a right question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Many have come to Jesus asking for healing. Many have come to Jesus asking for sight and their leprosy to be taken away from them. Many have come asking for deliverance for them or others. Some have come and asked for him to raise the dead. But he comes with an even deeper question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever asked that question? What must I do to inherit eternal life? He has a sense, this young man, this young ruler, this rich young guy, has a sense of the eternal. See, eternal life beats in all of our hearts, that there should be a better place. That when our loved ones go from this earth, there's a heartbeat all across the world that they're going somewhere. It's not just over. A place that has order, a reunion with loved ones. Have you ever asked that question for yourself? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever asked it for your children? Or do you assume that they're acceptable before God? I mean, they're acceptable before us, so certainly God will accept them. Or have you looked at your children and said, well, I need to be sure that they know what it takes to inherit eternal life. Have you ever asked it for your friends? Your neighbors, as in the video, the guy across the street. Do you think maybe my wife and I might need to hear that story? Have you ever asked it for them? If you've asked it, what is your conclusion? And as you've come to a conclusion, how do you know you are right? The young man had come to the right place for the answer. Have you? Have the others in your life? All people will have eternal existence. But not all will have eternal life. That's not popular today. I know that. I know it's not, that's not the popular thing to say. You can find many who will say that that's too exclusive, that we're too judgmental. There are many that will say that's mean-spirited. To say that some are going to inherit eternal life and some are not. But the scripture is very clear that narrow is the way that leads eternal, to eternal life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. And so the question that we've got to ask for anyone who disagrees is what is the authority of their view? Is it just their opinion? 
This, young, this rich young man had come to the right authority, but he's not going to get an answer that he's going to like. Many in our day don't like the answer that we give them. But the Bible is very clear. The Bible is our final authority. And the Bible tells us the way to eternal life. And that the only way to eternal life is through faith in Jesus to receive the grace of God upon our lives. Friends, that's true for you. It's true for me. It's true for our children. It's true for our friends. And once we've come to accept that and receive that grace, the question has to be asked, what are we going to do with it? This rich young man, he sees a good teacher who maybe can direct him. But Jesus looks at him and says, why do you call me good? See, Jesus in turn asks the key question. It strikes to the heart of the issue. He says to him, only God is good. He's trying to help this young man really settle this issue. Only God is good. Do you hear that statement? Jesus is trying to get this young man to see his need for an outside deliverer. His need for something outside of himself. And to turn him to see the answer. The question of all questions is this. Who do you think Jesus is? Now, Jesus is going to lead him, lead this man to his error. And so he says to him, you know, keep the commandments. Now, how have you done at keeping the commandments? You know, at this point, we should all be saying, that's impossible. I started breaking them as a baby. I have a rap sheet from here to the throne of God about the breaking of the commandments. This guy, he had to be, I mean, he had to be some sort of politician because he began looking for a loophole right away. Which ones? Which ones, he says. So Jesus gives him, the, gives him the easy ones at first. When Jesus says to him, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you, sh and you shall love your neighbor as, you, as yourself. Now this guy, he doesn't lack in confidence. He looks at Jesus he says, I've kept all those since I was born. Boy, he's a better man than I was. But truly, his confidence speaks to his blindness. And it speaks to his lack of self-awareness. Jesus could have responded anyway at that point in time. He could have said, you're hopeless. He could have looked at him and said, you're so steeped in your sin, you can't even see it. You're so confident in it, you don't even know what's wrong with you. But I find this passage so fascinating because Jesus looks at him and instead of being frustrated, you know what the scripture says? It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Here's this guy in error. Here's this guy who thinks of pretty highly of himself. 
knows something's missing, hasn't identified who Jesus is at this point in time. And Jesus looks past all of it. And he loves them. Friend, I think that's good news for all of us. That the love of God looks past our error. The love of God looks past our pride. The love of God looks past our blindness. When we come to him, he doesn't get frustrated. He looks at us and he loves us even when we come in error. This line is just filled with insight and the glory of God. Jesus, the perfect one, speaking to a young man who thinks he is the perfect one. And instead of scoffing and dismissing him, Jesus loves him. See, it's right here where we stumble sometimes. We love people, so we excuse their errors. Uh, We love people, so we overlook the issues of their life. Preachers get up and preach and shy away from the truth for fear of losing someone from the church count or making somebody uncomfortable. Let me tell you, pastors hate it when people leave the church. But I'll tell you clearly, if somebody leaves the church because they don't like the truth, there's no compromise with that. At some point in time, you just have to sit back and you say, the truth is the truth. Our goal, the preacher's goal, cannot be to get up and say everything to make you comfortable. The preacher's goal has to be the goal of Jesus, to get up and to say the truth. It's easy for us to think, well, someday they'll see. Let's just pray this prayer, and you can invite Jesus into your heart and come to church enough, and maybe you'll get it someday. Jesus will accept you as you are. But that's not how Jesus treated this young man. Jesus looks at this young man, and he wants to help him. But in this moment, Jesus sees. He sees that there is a problem. He sees a spiritual cancer that must be cut out, a flaw that cannot be ignored. This young man's heart is attached to the wrong thing. And he sees that there's one thing that he's lacking. Friends, I want to warn us today. There is that one thing for all. It's that thing that we love, that we are tempted to love more than God, that thing that wants to control our life, that that wants to control our life. It might be a relationship. It might be a habit. It might be a friend. It might be a child whose error we will defend instead of speaking the truth. It may be some attachment, but it is something that wants to keep us from doing the one thing we must do to inherit eternal life, and that is receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, following Christ day in and day out, and being fully his. It's the thing that takes me away from his truth, away from his assignments, away from obedience to him, away from the glory of his wisdom, and away from a right heart. The thing we don't want to talk about, but he will talk about nothing else. Do you know what that is in you? 
the one thing that vies in your life? Have you wrestled with it? Have you cast it down and said, no, this will not rule me. Jesus will rule me. Have you determined in your heart that Jesus is first? He is Lord. Not that relationship, not that attitude, not that thing that holds you. But Jesus is, is Lord. This is a wake-up call. In Jesus' day, they believed that, be, that if you were pleasing to God, you'd be rich and healthy and successful. This man was a picture of God's pleasure to them. They would have seen him as, as somebody, oh, well, you must have eternal life. Look at all that God's done for you. So this story cries out as a warning. What men think is the picture of God's pleasure may be far from it. This young man was close with all he had and all that looked right. He still felt the emptiness in his spirit that told him he wasn't sure of eternal life. For this young man recognized that the cry of eternity was unanswered in his spirit. Jesus is in these days, in the last days of his ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem to make a way for us to have eternal life. And here stands before him a man that he loves, a man that he's going to go and die on the cross so this man can have eternal life. But Jesus doesn't excuse what he sees in him. Jesus says you lack one thing. In his life and in ours, the one thing has to be dealt with. Is Jesus just Jesus the good? Or is he Jesus the Christ? The Lord, the Savior, the hope of all mankind. See, I believe that he is. I believe the Bible proclaims that Jesus is the hope of the world. I believe that the Bible proclaims and the Bible reveals to us that, that Jesus is the one we can put our trust in. I believe that what the Bible says is that we are completely broken and we need the wholeness of Christ to come into our life, to regenerate our heart and the Spirit of God to guide us into a new life that we must be submitted to each day, not out of a drudgery, not out of, a, out of bondage, but out out of a, a recognition that Jesus' way is the way to freedom. Jesus is the way to hope. Is there anything worth holding on to in this earth that makes missing eternal life worth it? What about the people that you love? Your friends. Don't they deserve the chance to know? Don't don't we need to be clear? Even in a world that wants to tell us that there's many ways, don't we need to be clear that Jesus said there's only one way? There's only one sure thing. I pray that this burns in our hearts over these next week as we look towards Easter. For yourself, I want to challenge you today. Have you sought out and identified the one thing that this that would attach itself to your life. For this young man, it was money. And Jesus looked at him and said, all right, you really want eternal life. He sees that money is the attachment. He says, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me.
It seems so unreasonable. And Jesus certainly doesn't ask us to do that very thing. He, he doesn't ask us to go, uh, most of us, to go sell everything we have and come follow him. But he does ask all of us, all of us, to lay down the thing that is before him. A friendship, a dream, a lifestyle, a jealousy, a desire, a pleasure. We, can, we think we cannot live without it, but we certainly won't have eternal life with it. Here's the command of Jesus. I will go to Jerusalem for you, but you must come fully with me. We have to go to Jerusalem with him. Over the years of my life, I have found that the one thing that vies for control of my life can change from time to time. One thing passes from the scene, and I think I'm done with that battle. And something else steps up and begins to tell me it wants to rule in my life instead of Jesus. What it was years ago can fade away, and something else will try to take that throne, will try to take the place in my life where only Jesus can be allowed as the final rule and authority, the final director of my life. I've watched people over the years struggle with the one thing. It might be music, it might be pride, it might be power, it might be career, it might be a habit, it might be money, on and on. Some overcome and some, sadly, like the rich young ruler, deny Jesus the throne and want to walk away. Sitting some 2,000 years later, don't you just want to reach back into the pages of the Bible and as that rich young guy walks away, yell at him, Stop! Life is short. It's going to be over before you know it. You don't have much time here. We'll be reading your story 2,000 years from now. Don't let it end this way. Jesus is all that lasts. Have you gotten that? Have you discovered that? Jesus came to this earth, gave himself on Calvary for us, risen from the grave. My money won't last. Fame won't last. Power won't last. Relationships won't last. The pleasures of this earth will fade away. Jesus, Jesus lasts. Amen? Let's stand together today and let's pray. Yeah, give the Lord a clap offering. Hallelujah. We just seriously bow your head and heart before the Lord today. I just want to give you a moment to just ask that question, Lord, is there anything in my life is there that one thing in my life? What is that one thing that's vying for control of you today? Just let the Lord speak to you as the music begins to play. Father, in Jesus' name, in these next few moments, just speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name.
Father, we love the name of Jesus. We adore your son, your plan for us to send him because you love us. And your great plan for our life is full of the riches of your glory, the riches of your presence, and the hope of, all, of eternal life. And so, Lord, we don't want to lack the one thing. We want to surrender the one thing. So, Lord, I pray you'd speak to us today. Help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask our prayer teams to come down to the front. And while they're doing that, I want you to do something with me today. If you have your phone with you, uh, will you get it out? Just hold your phone up for just a second. Now, maybe, maybe you can do a text message. Here's what I want you to do with your text message today. Go to your text message place. And if you don't have a phone, you can just do this on a piece of paper with you. And, and open up your text messages and put your name in it. You can text yourself a message. Okay? Just type your name up at the top. It'll give you a chance to text yourself a message. And just type in the message the one thing and send it to yourself. And say, Pastor, why are you doing that? Because you're going to get busy today. You're going to go out of here and you're going to talk to all your friends. But when you get home, I hope you'll look at your text messages and you'll sit, sit there and you'll remember. I need to think about the one thing. Is there something I lack today? Do you know what it is? Do you know the thing that's vying for power in your life? Listen, I'm, I'm promising you, there's something vying for power in your life. And if you can't identify it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to deceive you. But when you identify it, you can lay it down. And I don't want you to miss that one thing because there's nothing on this earth worth holding on to. You don't have to type what the one thing is. Nobody else needs to know it but you and God. But you're going to have to wrestle with that one thing. It may be a relationship you have to walk away from. It may be a habit you have to get away. It may be some, some things in life that you have to turn from to get away from them. Because see, listen to what Jesus said. Go sell all you have, give it to the poor. Is that where he ends? No. And then come follow me. Sometimes for us to follow Jesus, we've got to give up the one thing to come follow him. The next few moments, I'm just going to pray here and we're going to dismiss this service. But before we dismiss, we're going to open these altars. And listen, if you're not certain of your salvation today, you're not certain of eternal life, if you're wondering about eternal life, you come down and let somebody pray with you today. Before you leave this place, walk down here and say, I, I, want, to, I want to know more about this. But not only that today, maybe you come in this place with a broken heart. Maybe you come in here with a health issue. Maybe you come in here with something you need to be delivered from. Maybe you're just discouraged. We believe God makes a difference. Isn't that good news? Listen, this isn't, this isn't the, oh, this is the sad part of the service. People with needs are coming. No, this is the great part of the service. People with needs are going to get their needs met. Amen? Don't miss this. Father, in Jesus' name, whatever the need may be, 
I pray that people would come to this altar in these next few moments. For Father, I believe you are a prayer answering God. You're going to move in people's lives around this altar. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that if there's someone in this room who feels the emptiness of eternity in their heart, that before they leave this place, they come down to this altar. For Father, we believe you will meet with them and they'll sense your grace and their spirit before they leave. Father, move in each heart. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.